0: Hi there. Lindsay Sparks here with the next episode of Read by the Author. Today, we continue Echo in Time, the first book in the Echo Trilogy, read by the author, which is me, Lindsay Sparks. And now, let's return to the story. Chapter 29, Lost and Found. Standing at the edge of the illusory camp, I stared out at Hatshepsut's unreachable mortuary temple. Set had made the impenetrable perimeter of my prison large enough for a variety of death scenes, but cramped enough to taunt me with views of places I couldn't reach. The temple ruins and surrounding cliffs glowed an eerie orange under a perpetual sunrise. I hugged myself, holding completely still and silent. How long have I been trapped here? It felt like years. At the sudden, abrasive crunch of footsteps, I squeezed my eyes shut and held my breath. Soon, set would strike, belittle, or command me. The order was unpredictable, though all three were inevitable. Dieu! An unexpected male voice exclaimed, quickly followed by the softer, shakier words of a woman. O-M-G. Is it always like that? It was like an acid trip. Not that I've done acid or anything. Where are... "'Holy shit. How many? Are all of those bodies Marcus?' "'Oh, I think I'm gonna puke.' I wrapped my arms around myself more tightly, taking slow, deep breaths and trying to ignore the new, confusing twist to Set's torture. Dominic hadn't been present for at least several hundred death cycles. I wished Set would just show himself so I could let him know he had won.' that he had broken me to the point of obedience, and the torment could stop. "'Lex?' the false Dominic said, only feet behind me. I hunched in on myself. "'Why, Dom? Why now?' "'Are you okay, Lex?' Dominic asked, concern lacing his words. "'What's wrong with her?' I heard the female voice. "'Cat,' I realized.' Ask in front of me, but I refused to open my eyes. Dominic, his sensuous accent inflaming my turmoil, joined Kat in front of me. Lex? Why won't you answer me? Look at me, Lex. Open your eyes. No, you're not real, I whimpered. Oh, Lex, he whispered. What did he do to you? Your face? It's not just her face, Cat said. Look at her arms, her legs. Oh, Dieu, Dominic groaned. He's not real, I reminded myself out loud, trying to ignore the mental image of the man who had quickly tunneled his way into my heart, becoming my closest friend. He's not real, he's not real. Do you think she's broken? Cat asked. I don't know. Lex? Dominic said again, and my eyes flashed open when I felt his gentle fingers on my elbows. I stumbled backward, gaping. You can't. You're not real. You can't touch me. Shock more than anything else made my eyes widen and dart around frantically. Where is he? He's here. I know it. Dominic approached me again, wrapping his long, graceful fingers around the hand I had flung out as a shield. Feel me, Lex, I'm real. Trembling, I let him pull me in close and wrap his arms around me. His lean body hummed with tension like a live wire. Dom? My voice was breathy and too high. Are you really here? Yes, I promise. He held me tighter, trapping my hands against his chest. I bawled the soft cotton of his shirt in my fists and succumbed to violent, uncontrollable sobs. Had his arms not been around me, I would have collapsed to the ground, a broken heap of the woman I had once been. Um, guys, Kat said from inches behind me. I hate to interrupt this love fest, but shouldn't we, you know, get the hell out of here? Cause if this was a movie, the evil dude would totally show up right now. Well put, Katerina. My body went rigid at the sound of Set's voice, smooth and contemptuous, and I groaned against Dominic's shoulder. Merde! Dominic hissed, and feeling one of his arms release me, I held onto his shirt more tightly. Set chuckled. My three favorite children visiting all at once. Now tell me how you broke through my. No! His wail echoed as the world melted around us, dissolving into a frenzy of erratic colors that blinked in and out of existence. The aught felt dangerously unstable as it swirled, as though we had been caught in an endless, violent wave. Abruptly, the disorienting motion ceased, and one blessed realization overtook my entire consciousness. The absence of pain. For once, my body felt whole, My ribs and abdomen didn't ache. My hands weren't sliced with a thousand cuts. Amazingly, my mouth neither tasted of blood nor felt swollen. Eyes still closed, I smelled the spicy, alluring scent surrounding me, and my pulse sped. That was something Seth had gotten wrong. He hadn't been able to recreate Marcus's enticing aroma, nor his electric presence— I felt Marcus squeeze my hand, his warm, real fingers sending a thrill of sensation up my arm. "'Lex,' Marcus whispered, and I moaned at hearing the richness of his voice. "'Lex, can you hear me?' He sounded anxious, eager, desperate. "'Mmm, Marcus, you smell good,' I murmured. "'Are you all right?' He gently ran his finger along my forearm as he waited for my response." "'Smiling,' I whispered, "'You're here,' and opened my eyes. "'It was bright, too bright, to focus right away. "'Why wouldn't I be all—' "'My question cut off as soon as my vision cleared "'and Marcus's concerned face came into view. "'He was leaning over me, his beautiful, blazing eyes searing into mine. "'My entire body tensed, and I sat up, ripping my hand out of his grasp.' I instantly turned away from him and pulled my legs up, hugging them to my chest. A low keening tickled my ears, and I realized, belatedly, that it was mine. The sound rose and fell with my rhythmic, rocking motion. Lex, what's wrong? Why won't you look at me? Marcus asked. Don't look at him. Set's voice replayed in my head. No, I whimpered. I won't. "'Please, Lex, tell me what's wrong. "'Tell me what he did to you. "'Just look at me,' Marcus ordered, "'his words increasingly frantic. "'Tell him you hate him. "'Tell him he means nothing to you.' "'No!' I wailed, rocking with increased intensity. "'You'll die. He'll kill you. You'll die.' "'Hands were on my shoulders, stilling me, "'and I knew they were Marcus from the pleasant thrum "'their touch invoked in my blood.' "'So she really is broken,' Kat said. "'Should we, like, slap her or something?' "'Absolutely not,' Dominic nearly shouted. "'She's been beaten enough already.' "'Said beat you?' Marcus asked, hoarse. "'Nobody but me seemed to hear him. "'Fine, fine, whatever. Don't hulk out on me, dude. "'I'm just saying, maybe Marcus should back off. "'Seems to me he's the one driving her batshit.' You should probably stop talking now, Dominic advised. Well, he should probably leave her alone. He's making her worse, she huffed. Dear little sister, this is quickly becoming none of your business. Perhaps you should take your leave, Dominic suggested, his voice cold. Screw you, and you too, Marcus, Kat screeched. I totally made a flippin' huge sacrifice for her. My boobs are never getting any bigger. Of course, she's going to freak out at the sight of him. There was a mountain of dead marcuses in that echo prison thing. So if you two could take a break from the ultimate douchebag competition for a few minutes and let me have some girl time with Lex, maybe she'll calm down. Marcus's hands withdrew from my shoulders, but I remained still staring at the tan canvas wall of Marcus's tent. What did you mean mountain of dead Marcuses? He asked, sounding shaken. Dominic spoke defensively. "'I was going to tell you as soon as—' "'Cat?' I said softly. My single word cut through the explosive atmosphere, diffusing it immediately. "'Yeah, Lex?' The girl's voice had utterly transformed from that of a pissed-off teenager to that of a caring friend. When I spoke, it was to the tempt wall. "'What are you talking about? What huge sacrifice?' Cat sat on the cot beside me, facing the opposite direction, her hip flush with mine. Um, they needed me to go with Dom into the ot. It was the only way to break through the barrier to get to you. Turning my head, I rested my cheek on my knee and met her rich brown almond shaped eyes. But you're too young. I know. It's called forcing. Now I'll go through all the usual manifestation crap like you've been dealing with, just a little earlier than expected. What's that have to do with your boobs? I asked, feeling like I wasn't seeing the whole picture. I'm frozen. Like this? Sure, I'll get all the healing awesomeness and be uber glam and whatever, but I'll always look 18. Oh, cat... I said, reaching for her slim hand and giving it a gentle squeeze. I'm so sorry. She nudged my knees with her shoulder and rolled her eyes. Seriously, don't worry about it. I'm going to be one of a kind, a super hot teen chick for thousands of years. She preened. I wondered if she'd have to deal with the shitty adolescent mood swings forever. It would pave the way for an exciting life, if nothing else. But it was a high price to pay. Thank you, I said, trying to hold back the guilt and self-loathing that were suddenly coursing through me. Did she sacrifice her maturity for nothing? Were they too late? Hey, Lex, she soothed, misreading the cause of my souring mood. It's okay, really. It was my choice. I'm in your debt, okay? Whatever happens, I owe you. Big time, I told her. Deal? She gave me a genuine grin and agreed. "'Deal.' "'Wonderful,' Marcus said, his voice deep, smooth, and razor-sharp. "'Now someone tell me what the hell happened to Lex over the last three months "'and why she can't stand to look at me. "'That is, if it's not too much trouble.' Three months? What? How is that possible?' "'I felt like I had just woken up from a nap, not from a three-month coma. "'I had no feeding tube, no catheter.' I gave my shoulder a sniff. I didn't smell different than I usually did, and my mouth didn't taste like anything had crawled inside and died. So, what's the deal? Taking a deep breath, I released Cat's hand and slowly rotated on the cot, noting how surprisingly normal my muscles felt. I wasn't weak or stiff, I just felt like me. I dangled my legs over the edge of the cot next to Cat's, facing the center of the tent. I was looking at the canvas floor at two pairs of men's work boots, one set of reddish-black leather, the other light brown. They belonged to two of the people I cared about most in the world, and I was terrified to look at either of them. "'He killed you,' I said hollowly, studying their khaki trousers. "'He killed everyone I—everyone I love, at first—my mom, Dom, you—' everyone. And then he focused on you, Marcus. He'd switch it up every once in a while, tossing in Jenny or Grandma Suze or Alexander or anyone. But after a while, it was just you. Over and over and over. It felt like forever. If I didn't do what he said, he'd shoot you in the head. If I looked at you without his permission, he'd kill you. If I said the wrong thing, you were dead. If, what was the right thing, what did he make you say to me? I had to tell you that I, I stifled a sob. That I hated you, and that you meant nothing to me. I told you I was disgusted by your touch, and that you should go be with other women. And I told you I never wanted to see you again. Hundreds of times, maybe thousands. Thousands. I lifted one shoulder in a weak shrug. "'If he didn't believe it, he'd shoot you. You always ended up dead. I couldn't—I've never been a good liar.' Tears streamed down my face as I waited, staring at their legs. Silence, thick and palpable, filled the tent. Marcus was the one who finally broke it. Dom, cat, leave us.' "'Why? What are you going to do to her?' Kat screeched, scooting closer to wrap a protective arm around my shoulders. You can't be mad at her. She didn't mean it. I'm not. I just need to talk to her alone. As Marcus spoke, it became evident that his patience had waned to a fragile thread. Come along, Kat. I'm sure your mother will want to know you're back and not... damaged? The darker shoes, Dominic's, stepped forward and he reached his hand out for Kat, latching onto her wrist. He pulled her up and dragged her toward the exit. Before leaving, he said, "'Can I speak with you for a moment, outside?' I assumed he wasn't talking to me. "'I'll be in my mom's tent if you need me, Lex,' Kat called from outside. She and Dominic were closely followed by Marcus. Staying as silent as possible, I focused on my heightened sense of hearing— I hoped Marcus and Dominic didn't move too far away from the tent so I could catch whatever it was that Dominic wanted to say to Marcus that he wouldn't say in front of me. Just give her time, Dominic said quietly. She seems more or less okay. She'll probably come around eventually. Probably. You mean might not. You'd like that, I'm sure, but I can't accept that. Though his voice was also quiet, Marcus sounded strained. If she's not ready to be around you, that's all there is to it. You can't make her be the way she was before. No, you don't understand, Marcus growled. I have to get rid of her aversion, for her sake as much as mine. She's been an odd kid, so the effects have been slowed for her. But if she goes much longer, she's going to start having withdrawal pains. And then... There was a choking sound, and when Dominic spoke, his voice sounded tight like he might be sick. Are you saying you and she, you've bonded? Yes. But it's been months. You must be in agony. People have died from the withdrawals. All true, Marcus said. Well, that explains a lot. You've been acting. I'm fully aware of my behavior. Are we done? Ah, yes, Dominic said though he sounded hesitant. "'Did you listen?' Marcus asked as he re-entered the tent. I watched his boots as he moved closer, stopping with their toes inches from my bare, dangling feet. "'Yes.' Kneeling on the canvas floor, he took my hands in his. "'I won't force you to do anything, little Ivanov, but if you can't even look at me, in a few hours you're going to be an unimaginable pain.' "'Why?' He exhaled heavily. Not much is known about bonding, at least not scientifically. There are no fully bonded couples living today, only some partials. But one thing is certain, bonding withdrawals are both painful and deadly. If one half of our, if one half of a bonded couple dies, the other follows shortly after. You said you've been in pain for months? since the day you didn't come back from the aught. Marcus, I don't. My words ended abruptly when I raised my eyes to his. Simultaneously, I fought the instinct to look away and was drawn to the raw pain tightening his facial muscles. Every possible feature seemed pinched and strained, and his golden eyes glowed feverishly. I don't know how to make it stop, I wailed. God, Marcus, I feel like a dog slobbering at a bell. I don't want to be afraid to look at you, and I hate hurting you, but I... I, As I drank in the masculine perfection of Marcus's tensed face, I realized that Seth had given me the one Pavlovian response I needed to overcome his adverse psychological training. I felt the need to look away from Marcus because I didn't want to hurt him. For months, looking at him without permission had meant his death, but that aversion would hurt him too. It was hurting him. He was, as Dominic had said, in agony. But I had the ability to take the pain away. That knowledge was the most effective and welcome aversion override I could have wished for. I love you, but are you sure you want this to be bound forever? It might not be too late to stop. I mean, I don't want to make you do it just because of the pain, I said, feeling suddenly self conscious. Do it or not, pain or not, I want this, you, more than I've ever wanted anything,' Marcus said, his voice huskier than before. His words filled my chest with a warm, joyous glow and shot electricity straight to my core. It was the only confirmation I needed. Scooting to the edge of the cot, I parted my knees and hooked my fingers through Marcus's belt loops, pulling him between my legs.' "'Lex, I... let me help you,' I whispered, running my hands up over the front of his button-down shirt. The thin fabric did little to conceal the hard ridges of muscle shaping his torso. With wide eyes and parted lips, Marcus raised his hands to my shoulders. He slid his fingertips over the sensitive skin along my collarbone. "'Lex, let me make the pain stop,' I begged softly. My nimble fingers were undoing the buttons on his shirt from the top down. Woman, he rumbled in his silky bass. Let me speak. His cross tone warred with a combination of passion and pain burning in his eyes. I winced, pausing on the last button. Sorry. Holding my gaze, he said, I love you, Lex. He filled his words with countless layers of meaning, and my lips spread into a warm smile. He looked flabbergasted. That's it? A smile? Laughing softly, I glanced down to finish unbuttoning his shirt. Don't worry, you're getting more than a smile. It's not like it's the first time you've told me. Marcus's hands, lightning quick, shifted to the sides of my head and tilted my face back up. Yes, little Ivanov. It is. No, Marcus, it's... Oh. I closed my eyes to hold back the sudden and furious welling of tears. It was the first time the real Marcus had told me he loved me. Set had taken something invaluable from us, the right to express our feelings in our own time. It was something that could never be replaced, and I hated him that much more for stealing it. Lex? Hmm? feather light his lips brushed across first one cheekbone then the other little ivanov yeah i whispered my furious sorrow diminishing immediately burying one hand in my hair marcus turned my head so his breath came close against the skin between my ear and jaw each time his mouth barely touched me tendrils of fiery pleasure burst to life beneath my skin the thumb of his other hand skimmed my lips and my breath came out noticeably shaky. I love you. His thumb slipped between my lips, tasting faintly of salt as he wet it with saliva from my tongue. The damp fingertip ran softly from one corner of my lower lip to the other and back. And only you. Tightening his grip on my hair, he tilted my head back, giving him easier access to my neck. He inhaled deeply as he nibbled an electric line to my right collarbone. He licked along the graceful arc of bone in one smooth motion, from shoulder inward, ending by kissing the hollow at the base of my throat. A delicious ache was building within me, and a soft moan escaped from my parted lips. "'I want you,' he said. The fingers of his free hand mirrored his tongue's path, eventually trailing down to my breastbone.' "'and slipping under the low neck of my dress. "'I whimpered when he ignored my breasts, "'instead pressing his palm against the center of my chest "'and smiling against my neck. "'Only you,' he whispered. "'He raised his head from my throat, "'removed his hand from my chest, and released my hair. "'Holding my eyes, he lowered his hands to my knees "'and slid them up under my dress.' The intense hunger in his eyes did as much to prepare me for him as his touch. There was a tearing sound. Marcus had literally ripped my underwear off. As soon as they were out of the way, I heard the metallic clang of his belt and the sound of his zipper. And all of you, he finished. Gripping my hips firmly, he pulled me off the cot and onto him, both of us grunting as we joined. While the initial intense sensation of holding him within me still pulsed from my core, Marcus embraced me tightly and sat back on his heels. So urgent was our need for one another that his quick, rough pace brought me to my peak remarkably soon, and when he buried his face in my neck and groaned, embracing me desperately, I flew away. Throbbing fire exploded in my belly and spread outward with nearly unbearable force. I was falling, soaring, unravelling. I lost myself and became someone else, the impossible combination of two souls, two minds, two bodies, but one being. I bound myself to Marcus, wholly and completely. Slowly, as conscious thought returned, I became aware of Marcus's soft words. He rocked me gently, murmuring ancient, beautiful words that I couldn't understand. Pulling away enough to see his face, to read it for lingering signs of agony, I found only peace. Better? I asked. Lazily, Marcus smiled, his eyes like molten gold, and he let out a deep, satisfied hum. Slipping my hand under the shirt he still partially wore, I ran my fingertips up and down his back, savoring the way he shivered with my touch. "'I love you, Marcus.' He chuckled and brushed his lips softly against mine. Marcus? Hmm. I took a deep breath. You said I was trapped in the aught for months? What's the date? He tensed, turning to stone even as he held me, and dread took root in my chest. Leaning back, I asked, How many days do we have left? His jaw clenched once, twice. The solstice is in the week. My heart felt like it stopped beating entirely. A week until the solstice? A week until the nothingness takes over the art? Sometime between then and now, I decided the fate of the world. Not good. Chapter 30 Enter and Unlock. I can't wait to see the chest, I said pulling on some olive green cargo shorts I had found in one of the trunks set along the wall opposite the cot. Marcus, still half naked and lounging on the floor, watched intently as they slid up my long legs. Luckily, Marcus had moved my things into his tent while I'd been trapped in the aught, so I had everything I needed at my fingertips. I found my favorite black bra deeper in the trunk and slipped it on. Is it big? Gold? Covered in jewels? Marcus stood, shed the remainder of his clothes, and stretched his toned body, graceful as a cat. I was really enjoying the view. The chest is hard to describe. You'll see. Not if you don't put some clothes on, I said, giving him a pointed look. Or are you planning on giving everyone up at the temple a show? Smirking, Marcus quickly dressed his lower half in thin, camel coloured trousers. As he shrugged into a white linen shirt, his face turned serious. Promise me something, little Ivanov. I raised my eyebrows. Take it slow, once we get in there. The nothingness doesn't take over the ought for another week. We don't have to rush opening the chest. I recited part of the first verse of Nguyen's prophecy aloud. She will acquire the unknot, or mankind will wither under the weight of the nothingness. Sooner is better than later, I said, and my mood suddenly soured. You know, I can't believe sets my father. He's such an evil dick. I huffed, yanking on a black tank top, yanking on a black tank top over my head. Marcus finished buttoning his shirt, leaving the top two buttons undone, and reached for his boots. He wasn't always like that. He was a good man once. I shrugged while tying my own dark hiking boots. Silently, I recited the next part of the prophecy. She will obey Set and destroy mankind, or she will defy Set and mankind will prevail. She will decide, and either mankind or Set will be destroyed. The world screwed, I thought, and scowled. Sighing, Marcus finished with his laces and closed the distance between us, wrapping me in his protective arms. Breathing in his delicious, spicy scent, I tried to forget about Set, the prophecy, the ankh at, and the nothingness for a few seconds. "'I just want to stay with you in here forever,' I whispered. Marcus pulled away slightly, then lowered his face to mine, kissing me tenderly on the lips. "'Come on, little Ivanov, the others are waiting.' He threaded his fingers through mine and led me out into the dry heat of the late afternoon. As we neared the western boundary of camp, Sandra and Volley, trailing close behind, I asked, So, how'd you guys find the super-secret entrance? I frowned. And what about the other one, the main entrance your geologic studies found? Decoy. As for the... Upon reaching the perimeter that had functioned as my prison wall in Set's fabricated echo of the camp, I hesitated. "'Lex, what's wrong?' Concern coded Marcus's deeply melodic voice. "'It's... it's just that...' Taking a deep breath, I raised my foot and crossed the invisible line, breaking down another of the barriers Set had constructed in my mind. "'It's nothing.' Marcus's eyes tightened with worry, but he didn't speak. He knew set well enough that he could probably deduce the causes of any odd behavior I displayed after being held captive. "'I'm fine,' I said, comforted by his concern. I tugged him along, and we continued the half-mile trek across superheated sand toward Jesser Jesseru. After a few minutes, I said, "'Marcus?' He glanced at me quizzically. "'Why don't I feel worse?' I mean, why don't I feel like I've been comatose for three months? Didn't anyone explain Atked to you? I shrugged. Only briefly. Sighing, Marcus said, Atked decreases the body's metabolic rate to a near stop. All functions, cardiovascular, respiratory, digestive, slow drastically. You don't require food or water for many months, maybe even years. You were in the art for months, but your heart beat about as many times as it normally would have in a couple of hours. Huh, I said, thinking it was just another unbelievable item to add to the list of insanity that had become my life. As we stepped over a short, crumbling limestone wall and into the lower terrace of the temple complex, I took a deep breath, slowly releasing it with contentment. I had yet to actually enter Hatshepsut's mortuary temple, and the thrill of approaching such a majestic structure rushed through me in waves. Blessedly empty of tourists, the temple, with its three levels of columned porticos and terraces, looked like a giant prize-winning sandcastle. Or an enormous beige wedding cake. You know, it's always gonna be crazy to me that you were Hatshepsut's consort. I mean, she was a pharaoh. "'One of the most famous, and you had a kid together.' I glanced at him, wondering if she'd given him more than one child. "'I could never do that.' He squeezed my hand. "'It was a long, long time ago. She was an interesting woman. She grew quite obese during the second half of her life, or so I heard. I was already gone by then. It must have killed you to leave,' I said." recalling Nephi's story of how Set had forced Marcus to leave his family. Marcus smiled bitterly. It was painful. I was very attached to Nephi. She was a firecracker. She was a firecracker of a young girl, as I'm sure you can imagine. But not Hatshepsut? You weren't really attached to her? Our arrangement was more political than romantic. I chewed on my lower lip for a moment. Well, at least you've had many, many, many years to make up for lost time with Nephi. True. The single word sounded hollow, and I knew Marcus's mind had traveled to times long past. How many years would it take for the familiar structures of my life to devolve into ruins and be hidden by time's relentless efforts? How would I deal with my contemporary time becoming the distant, ancient past, as Marcus's already had... I bumped Marcus's shoulder with my own. So you never did tell me how you guys found the hidden entrance? Marcus laughed, and the genuine amusement it contained made me smile. I wish you'd seen it. It was unintentional. Dom, Alex, and Nephi were arguing in the sanctuary of the Upper Anubis Chapel. Dom said something about your capture being Nephi's fault, and she shoved him into a 3,500-year-old wall. Its decoration crumpled to the ground, revealing a solid limestone doorway. So was there a secret latch to open it or something? Marcus looked at me askance. I thought you were a professional. A real archaeologist. Oh, shut up. It would seem you've watched too many movies. He teased dryly. "'Well, how'd you get the huge slab of stone out, then?' "'Very carefully, little Ivanov.' "'Okay,' I said, equally irritated and amused by his useless evasion. "'I wonder why Set didn't just tell us how to get into the temple. "'I mean, he wants me to open the chest and get the Ankh out for him, right?' "'Shaking his head, Marcus said, "'After the council chose me as their leader over him, Set changed.' His mind no longer works like yours or mine. His logic is impossible to understand. Why did he choose to hide the Ankhoth here, in the heart of our homeland? Why not far away? Why did he change his mind from wanting to prevent the prophecy, prevent your birth, to actively working toward it? Shaking his head, Marcus said, So why didn't he draw us a map leading to the temple entrance? Maybe he wanted it to be just you and him not to have other negerets surrounding you. Negerets who would help you defy him. Pursing my lips, I pondered his words, rolling them around in my head. I was certain of one thing. Set's unpredictability made him a whole lot scarier. I shivered. As we walked up the centralized ramp leading to the temple's third level, I could see a handful of people mingling among the square columns and the few remaining statues of Hatshepsut. Nephi, Dominic, and Alexander were among them, along with at least a dozen more negerettes. I was moderately surprised to find Kat standing beside Dominic, bouncing excitedly on the balls of her feet. The mortuary temple's expansive sand-colored portico reminded me of the wide front porch on a southern plantation home or it would have if any plantation home had ever been built entirely out of limestone in a dusty desert with lumpy tan cliffs jutting up behind it. It was a bit of a stretch, but I had always had an active imagination. I was eager to greet my friends, especially my youthful grandpa, but I was equally uncomfortable, fully aware that they knew I'd been back for well over an hour and had spent most of that time in Marcus's tent fate of the world was hanging in the balance, but we had to take a sex break while everyone else waited for us. No, really, we had to. Leaning in close, Marcus whispered, Dom will have told them what you've been through and about the bonding. They'll understand. I looked at him sharply. What? Are you a mind reader now? The confirmation that they knew we'd just been... The confirmation that they knew what we'd Been doing only amped up my chagrin. Inches from my ear, Marcus chuckled, sending shocks of remembered pleasure dancing along my skin. Hardly. You were just being exceptionally expressive. Oh. I could feel my cheeks growing hot. Damn, being bound to him made the most benign interactions feel like foreplay. Softly, Marcus pressed his lips against my cheek, feeling cool against my flushed skin. "'Alex might throttle me if I don't hand you over within the next five seconds.' "'Letting go of Marcus's hand, I approached Alexander. "'He stood beside one of the seven remaining, mostly intact, "'statues of Hatshepsut still decorating the fronts of the columns, "'looking equally as regal, though the statue was easily twice his height. "'He wore a solemn expression as I neared, "'and closed the distance between us in two large strides.' His arms enfolded me in a sturdy, comforting hug. "'Dear granddaughter, I'm so sorry for what Set has done to you. Ivan and the rest of the council have sworn to forsake the swift release of death in his case. You will suffer for a very, very long time.' While part of my mind danced a merry jig at the thought of Set suffering an eternity of torture, I wondered if it would ever come to pass— Likely as not, the rest of us would end up being the victims of a hell inflicted by my father. And it all depended on me. Oh, joy. I really hated him. Thanks, Alexander, I said, giving my grandpa a final squeeze. I really appreciate the, uh, sentiment. After we broke apart, I received greetings and hugs from the others, including a promise from Kat to kick that phony god's pretty ass if he ever stepped out of line. She hadn't been talking about set. Can we show her now? Neffi asked, breaking through the good-humored reunion. When Marcus nodded, Neffi reached for me and clasped her hand around my wrist, tugging me out of the cluster of negerettes. Setting a quicker pace than I had expected with her shorter legs, she dragged me through the blocky entryway to the upper courtyard and immediately turned right, following a tall limestone wall. Multiple rows of polygonal columns were arranged evenly near the perimeter of the rectangular courtyard, broken off at various heights. Some still held vestiges of their ancient decorations, haphazard chunks emblazoned with faded amber hieroglyphs and depictions of the ancient gods. Freeing my wrist from Neffy's sharp-nailed grasp, I stopped with a slight stumble. "'Thanks, Neffy, but I can walk on my own.' "'Sorry,' she said." "'shooting a wry look over my shoulder. "'I knew what she was watching, or rather, who. "'I could feel Marcus's proximity "'even before his arm slipped around my waist. "'I'm just a little excited.' "'A little,' Dominic said, sneering as he passed her. "'Nephi jogged for a few steps "'to reclaim her position as guide, and we followed. "'You see, Lex, for weeks we haven't been able "'to make any progress because we needed you,' "'she called over her shoulder.' We've explored every part of the temple to, we've explored every part of the temple and have found the chest containing the Ankh-At. It's pretty hard to miss, really. But like Nguyen's prophecy says, no person except for the Meswet shall be able to access the Ankh-At. You're the only Meswet there is, and with you here, we'll finally be able to open the chest and get to the Ankh-At. I just can't believe it's all finally happening she exclaimed excitedly. "'I guess she's not worried that I'll cave in, obey set, and destroy the world.' She led us through a small doorway leading into an open-air chamber. In its center stood what had once been a sun altar, a large square platform of decaying limestone. In singles and pairs, we followed Nephi diagonally across the debris-strewn ground to an even smaller opening in the opposite wall— My heart sped in anticipation of finally being able to enter Senenmut's secret temple. Begrudgingly, I admitted it was equally Set's secret temple. Our clustered train of negerets narrowed to a single file line so we could all pass through the slim doorway into the enclosed sanctuary of the upper Anubis Chapel. Vibrant colors covered the walls of the long room as well as its smaller annex, which was accessible by a petite doorway. Near the back left corner of the sanctuary. The sight of them sent a thrill through me. Seeing them in the modern time, thousands of years after they were first created, was totally different than seeing their pristine perfection in the art. For me, the beauty and magic of being an archaeologist was in uncovering what was hidden, in being the first to see or touch something in thousands of years. Dominic stood aside at the end of the sanctuary allowing me to enter the annex directly behind Nephi, A piece of my archaeologist's soul shattered when I saw the long wall on the right, its decoration completely destroyed. However, the cavernous rectangle of glowing light in the center of the ruined wall more than made up for it. It was the entrance to the hidden temple. Archaeology is a destructive process, my Arche 101 professor's voice echoed in my head. I could almost see him standing on the raised dais, explaining that the world's beloved Pompeii would be completely destroyed the next time Mount Vesuvius erupted, all because we had uncovered it, exposing it to the world. But it's worth it, right? While we waited for Nephi to unlock an iron gate blocking the previously hidden opening, I looked behind me at Marcus. One glance at the Nezirets packed into the sanctuary behind him and unexpected claustrophobia bloomed inside me. Even with the clear ropes of LED lights strung along the ground and only three of us actually standing in the annex, I was feeling suddenly uncomfortably trapped. Picking up on my distress, Marcus ordered, Everyone back to camp but Dom, Alex, and Nephi. As they shuffled out, he added, I want guards on the chapel entrance. Seconds later, Marcus's eyes fell on Kat's slender, tan figure. She was still standing in the sanctuary. Why are you still here, girl? Because Dom promised I could come with you guys, man. She sounded every bit the sullen teen, but a diamond-hard vein ran through her words. She's got backbone, that's for sure. Dom should be careful of what he promises. Marcus's jaw was clenched, and he was staring straight at Dominic. "'But if he's up to babysitting,' he turned back to Kat. "'Accompany us, by all means.' I rolled my eyes, exasperated that he'd entered his bossy, former-god state of mind. "'Cut it out, Marcus. This is neither the time nor the place for a pissing contest.' Given half the chance in his current state of mind, he would argue the most unimportant matters to the ground." I flinched at seeing the cold look he turned on me, watching as its iciness thawed and with narrowed eyes heated to inappropriate levels. This isn't the time or place for that, either, I hissed, feeling exceptionally uncomfortable about the four sets of eyes watching us. The, um, gate's unlocked, so shall we enter? Neffy asked tentatively. Yes, I breathed, utterly thankful for her interruption. Please. Where ground met wall on either side, more LED ropes lined the passageway, illuminating everything surprisingly well. The persistent white light seemed eerily out of place within the rough-hewn corridor. There were chisel marks covering the walls, running from the ceiling down to the floor, like streaming water. Passing through the entrance behind Nephi, I could easily touch both walls and the ceiling without extending my arms completely. My heartbeat sped up with a mixture of anticipation and anxiety as we burrowed further into Dier El Bachri's limestone cliffs. This is totally better than air conditioning, Kat whispered. The temperature was dropping noticeably, an immense relief. The sound of her soft words bounced off the walls until they faded out of existence. Somebody, likely Dominic, shushed her. Reaching behind me, I found Marcus's hand and gave it a quick squeeze, hoping he would hold his tongue. Neither patience nor tolerance was among the skills he'd honed during his long life. After several minutes of moving at our slow pace, we reached a point in the passageway where it abruptly branched into four separate corridors. Two were perpendicular to the main passageway, while two more evenly split the way going forward, creating a crisp corner straight ahead. "'This is odd,' I said quietly as Nephi stopped at the intersection. She turned around and nodded sedately, clasping her hands in front of her. Without further direction, I wandered down the passageway on my left, running my fingers along the walls as I went. The chisel marks were different there, running horizontally instead of vertically. I estimated the offshoot to be half as long as the main corridor, maybe 50 meters, and was intrigued to find that my arms were far more outstretched when I neared the end than they had been at the beginning. In the light from the LED ropes, I could see that a niche was cut into the wall at the end of the passage, twice as tall as it was wide. Reaching out, I traced the two-foot-tall ankh carved into the limestone at its center. My fingers started at the bottom, followed the straight stem of the symbol up until it split into an upside-down teardrop worked their way around the curve, and ended by tracing the perpendicular line crossing the symbol at its midpoint. Life, I whispered. It was beautiful in its simplicity, both in shape and meaning. Looking behind me, I was surprised to find that Marcus hadn't followed. Instead, he was locked in a hushed, extremely intense conversation with his daughter in Middle Egyptian. I headed back up the passage, rejoining the fiercely whispering pair, they cut their words short as I neared them. something wrong? I asked quietly. Neither Nephi nor Marcus said anything, and I figured Marcus was trying to hide something from me. Again. Frustrated, I brushed past them, heading down the nearest corridor, one of the middle passageways. The limestone walls of the faintly curving passage had been polished completely smooth, making them seem impossibly modern. With the pale, artificial light from the LED ropes, I easily could have been in an elegant hotel or a contemporary monument. When I paused and looked over my shoulder, I found that I was far enough down the corridor for its curvature to hide me from the five-way intersection. Footsteps, quick and determined, preceded Marcus as he came into view. Upon seeing him, I turned and continued down the passageway. Sooner than I had expected, he clamped his fingers around my upper arm, stopping me mid-step. What exactly is the problem, Lex? That you're hurting my arm, I told him. In the unnerving white light, his golden features appeared pale, gray. I must have looked ghostly. Face blank, Marcus watched me. He didn't loosen his grip. He didn't glower. He just stared, passive. I looked down at the floor, noticing it was just as smooth as the walls. You're hiding something from me. Last time you did that, you left. And before that, I had to discover what I am on my own. So what is it? I asked, my voice small. I raised my eyes to his. Finally, he released my arm. Whether or not you should be allowed to open the chest today. Nephi thinks you should. I don't. Why not? He sighed and reached out a hand to brush the backs of his fingers across my cheek. I just got you back, and we don't know what opening the chest will do. I see, I said, frowning. But you don't have a problem with me seeing it, do you? Shaking his head, Marcus took hold of my hand and pulled me back into motion. His mood instantly shifted to that of a little boy approaching the shining, present-strewn tree on Christmas morning. He led me down the passageway, the curve growing increasingly severe the further we walked. My mental blueprints of the temple were developing into an exciting, familiar shape. "'Does this corridor meet up with the other?' I asked eagerly. "'Yes.' "'So it's shaped like an onk. "'Then where's the—' "'On the outer wall, a short way ahead, a spot of light brighter than that of the LED ropes came into view. "'It was oddly shaped, reaching from floor to ceiling, and asymmetrical, with irregular waves and points on either side.' and it was warmer than the harsh white luminescence of the LEDs. After a brief moment, I realized it was the reflection of light through a doorway to a more brightly lit area. My pace slowed as I savored the delicious anticipation. Six steps nearer, huge carved shapes took form on the inner wall. At first, I thought it was a column, one of two framing the doorway, with its relatively featureless length and jutting protrusion, a foot from the ceiling, Four more steps, and the base of the column started to look less like a base and more like a huge paw with finger-length claws. Another step, and my eyes traveled up a five-foot-long foreleg to a strong canine shoulder, sinuous neck, and long, downward-curving muzzle. After five final steps, I was standing before the monstrous statue, horrified. It was an enormous set animal, like the tattoo on the backs of the necks of set's human followers, one of a pair, It was seated, looking like a gigantic greyhound with the snout of an anteater. With its partner five feet beyond, it seemed to hold sentry over the doorway. Or what was beyond. I briefly glanced through the doorway. At least, the glance was intended to be brief. Oh my god, I whispered, stepping between the statues and into a breathtaking chamber. Vibrant, almost violent swirls of color covered the walls and ceiling of the cavernous space. As I traced the line of the nearest wall all the way around the room and then overhead, I realized it was one continuous surface. The chamber was, in fact, a dome, with a floor that looked to be around 40 meters in diameter and curved proportions that I would have wagered measured into a flawless geometric half-sphere. It was the least Egyptian and most architecturally astounding sight I had ever seen. How Senenmut had hollowed out a twenty meter high dome in the heart of the limestone cliffs with Middle Egyptian technology was beyond me. Maybe he cheated by peeking into the future for help. Eat your heart out, Brunelleschi, I whispered as I drew closer to the wall near the entrance. And Michelangelo, I added, observing the fine detail of the seamless mural inlaid into the millennia-old paint, adding delightful chaos to the decoration, were colored stones, gems, and glass beads each matched the color in which it was set, but stood out by shimmering in the warm glow of the modern bulbs that had been placed evenly around the chamber. I was actually a little surprised that the floor wasn't decorated as well, though the highly polished limestone did a good job of reflecting the dizzying colors. It's just like in the art. "'My reverent words drew Marcus into the chamber. "'Yes,' he whispered, stopping close behind me. Senanmut was far beyond his time, even for a negere. Set did our kind a great disservice by killing him. "'A little louder, he said, "'Nephi, you may join us now.' "'I reached out my hand, but before my fingers could brush "'what looked like a very large, irregular, wispy strip of gold inlay "'in the brightly colored wall, Marcus caught my wrist.' I wouldn't, he said softly. His breath tickled the back of my neck, and I shivered. It's quite fragile. The only reason it didn't crumble off a thousand years ago is that there was no airflow and no real temperature or moisture fluctuation. But now... I really hate that, you know. We're destroying it just by being here, I said, sounding wistful and a little despondent. You wanted to be an archaeologist, little Ivanov. You have to take the good with the bad. Marcus's voice changed as he moved away toward the center of the room. Would you rather beautiful ancient things remain hidden or share their glory with the world? Or would you prefer to just see them in the art? You must remember that nothing lasts forever, not even us. I pondered his words but said nothing. It is beautiful, is it not? Neffy remarked as she entered the domed chamber. "'Josh has come up with a very interesting preservation idea. "'He plans to use a specially prepared spray adhesive to glaze and protect the dome.' "'Aren't we just sealing the entrance back up?' I asked, turning to her. "'She nodded. But the damage, I fear, is done.' "'Frowning, I turned toward the center of the chamber, toward Marcus and what I had been ignoring.' A three-foot-high circular dais had been left by the workers when they carved the chamber into the solid limestone. Resting on the raised platform was the object that could be nothing other than the chest containing the ankh at The thing was a study of opposites, ancient Egyptian and modern, clear and opaque, moving and still, always in a single moment. It looked like somebody had taken a beautifully carved old Egyptian chest, set it on fire, and then frozen time and transformed the entire jumble into crystal. It was hypnotizing and disturbing and the single most beautiful thing I had ever seen. In its presence, I completely forgot the stunning dome overhead. Oh, wow. My voice was hushed, awed. Marcus turned away from the chest and watched me, his expression expectant. Because he was looking at me, he couldn't see what happened to the chest as I moved closer. It began to glow. Oh, I said, but lost the capacity for words as the chest's internal light shone brighter, extending to the upward-reaching tendrils. It called to me almost hummed, sending a hair-raising, tingling sensation all over my body. Seeing the glow reflected on my skin, Marcus murmured, What the... It's never... Nephew said at the same time that Alexander exclaimed, Deus, it's glowing. Marcus grabbed my forearm. Lex, I don't think you should do that. Faintly, I heard him, and the hand I had been reaching out to touch the glorious monstrosity paused inches from its surface. I felt like I was locked in a bubble of frozen time. I could hear and see everything going on around me, but I couldn't join. I was set apart. But I'd always been separate, apart from the rest of the world. I just hadn't known. I just hadn't remembered. And at that moment... I just couldn't speak. A long moment of silence was broken by a muffled crack, and then another. Marcus released my wrist and turned away, probably to look for the source of the noise, but he didn't account for the freedom letting go would give me, and I didn't have the self-restraint to stop myself. My fingers inched forward and brushed the surface of the iridescent glowing chest. Instantly, the temple disappeared from my muted awareness, and the unbearably beautiful glow became everything. It was everywhere, every when. Nothing existed outside of it. I was it, and it was me. Encapsulated in its warmth and comfort, I never wanted to leave. Finally, for the first time in my life, I was at peace. Thanks for listening to the Read by the Author podcast. To find out what happens next in the story, stay tuned for the next episode. You can also find Echo in Time, as well as the rest of the Echo Trilogy, in ebook, paperback, and professionally narrated audiobook format through all major book retailers. And libraries, too. Until next time, happy reading!